You are listening to Noteworthy Differences. Today I have a guest who runs uh, Redwood Sound Labs, a podcast network featuring a variety of independent shows. Alex Mall's own podcast, Fields of Glory, examines sports and movies through a critical lens, uh, comparing them to war cinema and highlighting issues of sexism and racism. In addition, he uh, he works with other podcasters to uh, cross-promote shows and help them gain more exposure. Hey, welcome, Alex. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and just before we actually get into it, I um, just wanted to say thanks uh, for being one of those uh, long-time supporters for, for the past couple of months from when I started because um, I know that every, every single post, um, I usually do see your likes on them. Have you seen the meme where the guy's like, um, we always have that one supportive friend and um, the guy's like on a, I think it's prepping before the concert or something, like someone's singing and then one person in the crowd is holding up a sign. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I wish that to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I know how frustrating it can be when you're starting out on podcasts and sometimes you don't know if you're speaking to an empty room or not. The stats don't always bear out like oh, what's yeah. actually happening. So it's good to know that people are, are paying attention and listening. So, and yeah. I really like what you do. It's a, it's a fun interview show for sure. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, definitely. I'm um, looking to uh, see where it goes. Um, we'll get to know yourself a bit more, Alex. And then um, um, first question was, uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, how you got into uh, Redwood Sound Labs and what, what inspires you to create a podcast network or what inspired you to create a podcast network? Okay, I have to go back about 11 years to, to properly yep. talk about it. So, go for it. We've got time. Yep. Uh, so... I was in a band and I really enjoyed playing in bands and I was trying to make it all the time. And, uh, you know, we did okay on the local scene and I would travel to Bozeman and, uh, like Butte, Missoula, like places that were kind of nearby. I finally did a tour that like covered about a third of the United States and that was my dream, but I got married, had a kid, uh, became impossible to travel. So I was just, thinking of what I wanted to do. And so at first I was biding my time and writing songs. And then at a certain point, we went on vacation at a place called Crater Lake National Park. And I picked up a newspaper and they were talking about how you could podcast for free. So this is like 13 years ago. And I was like, thinking that that was pretty interesting. I had always been obsessed with AM radio here, uh, Mm. listening to crazy crackpots talk about Bigfoot or UFOs or whatever. And I always found that stuff entertaining. (laughs) Uh, I I like stuff like Siskel and Ebert and somebody had put it on a radio show for a little bit. And so I thought that was fun. And so I was like, you know what, I'll I'll give that a chance because I can do that when my kids are in bed. And then my board got fried. So (laughs) I had to buy new equipment that took about a year. Mm -hmm. And then I started up and nobody was listening. And I mean, nobody, like I would look at the the counter on feed bird burner, which is what I originally used. Mm-hmm. And it would be all, all me just across it. I knew how many times I had like clicked on it and it would be me every time. And then okay. eventually I started to build it up, but it wasn't very many people. And so I was trying to figure out how can I get this to a bigger audience? 
And the answer I came to was a network, like find other people, get mm. them on a commercial on my show. I'll get on a commercial on their show, sometimes double over on each other's shows, try and share the audiences and grow that way because I can't afford to pay for advertising. And fortunately, I had a couple of friends, Matt Campbell and Dub Campbell, who had a podcast called We Had a Good Life. They happened to be recording. We had come up with an idea for a couple more shows and then various other friends that I knew who had played music or done various things and knew how to record. I brought them in and started their show. So I wound up helping them produce. Sometimes I edited. Sometimes I was posting their shows for them. I was always producing the commercials. I was doing social media posts for everybody. And that just became a habit that I fell into for like eight years, probably. And then a buddy of mine, Aaron Donaldson, uh, reached out to me and he had done a show called The Alien Movie Project and another one called That's Debatable for our network of old. And he was like asking me advice on starting a network because he was trying to get a feeder system from Humboldt University where he teaches, where he gets all of these kids that he sees are very promising. And he was hoping to get them into podcasting. And then start a network with them when they graduated. So he's bringing it up to me. And then towards the end of it, he's like, would you be interested in doing this with me? Because there's a lot of technical stuff I don't really get. And I could yeah. use somebody to do that. And I was like, absolutely. So we started a partnership. Uh, and we had worked together pretty well already at this point for a couple of years when he was doing shows. But this became a little more intense, just talking back and forth and figuring out what shows to bring in. Because... If you're running a network, you can't just do the shows that you're doing. You need other shows or it's kind of pointless. And so I had a friend who was like she was a comedian, uh, did stage work, and she had been talking to me for about a year about podcasting. So I was trying to help her get ideas and starting it in. So we brought her in on the ground floor once she was ready. Um, There's a and they wound up leaving at some point, but Mm -hmm. um and then I reached out to a couple of guys who did a horror podcast called Watch No Evil. Uh, that is Matt Mason and Zach Siegel. And they're still on the network. And I just thought they were really smart about movies and talked about them in similar ways that Aaron and I did. So I thought mm-hmm. they were a natural fit for what, what we were doing. And then the final one was a show called Living With Your Dog, which is still on. And that show was essentially a public radio show that ran, I believe, on eight different radio shows mm-hmm. he had no idea how to podcast but he wanted to he wanted to get him up on podcasting so basically he sends me these files i do oh, spot okay. editing a little bit of mixing and yeah. then i put them up on the internet and do social media posts for them they have their own social media they do as well but i, yeah. I included it with my stuff and so basically we all do our shows we have commercials should one of the shows make money, which hasn't really happened yet, <laughs> then we get a percentage of it for doing all the work to try and get them in this position. So that's basically a business model. We're, we're not going to get rich off of it. We're independent, but we try and find like-minded people who have a good point of view. Usually it involves pop culture and education where that kind of meets. Uh, living with your dog is the outlier because it's a guy that Aaron knew. Mm. And it had the education component, but did not have the pop culture component. So we decided to look the other way. And that's kind of paid off because it's a it's consistently a top 
hundred show in its category. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It's this older lady who is a dog trainer and animal behavioralist. And then the producer, Nate, is on there all the time talking to her. And mm. so Nate's the one that I deal with basically. He'll he'll give me 10 episodes that were radio shows. And then I just do little tweaking to turn them in a podcast and put them up. So that's it, it's weird. I didn't know exactly mm. what a producer was until years after I was producing, uh, if that okay. makes sense. And a producer just does whatever needs to be done to get the thing going. Yeah, whether that's editing, throwing money at it, whatever, you know, that's what mm. a producer does. So I think when I started to reach out to you, um, I I saw um yeah, the Living with Your Dog podcast. Um, you know what the think the latest post of yours was um the uh <laughs> the one on common pocryphagia. Yes. <laughs> and uh and I'm like I'm looking at what co- uh coprophagia is, you know, and I didn't know. And then I'm like, hmm, interesting. Uh is this what this guy's about? <laughs> like <laughs> then, then I didn't realize uh, you know, you run a network of different uh podcasts and uh <laughs> you help producer quite a few. And um yeah, that, that was a bit uh, shocking there. I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting actually to talk to this guy, and then I realized, yeah, it's not not the case. <laughs> I'm like, how do you how do you talk how do you, you know how do you create so many episodes about that one particular topic right <laughs> but no yeah <laughs> well and I've I've been podcasting for 12 years so one of the things that I definitely do is prepare 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 so mm-hmm. if if I'm doing a show for example this this sports movie podcast that I'm doing with Aaron Donaldson right now yep what we what we do is before before we started the show we figured out exactly what the show was, what we wanted to say with it, what the categories would be. And we spent quite a bit of time on the phone hashing that out while we were finishing up our other podcasts because we're doing it in seasons now. Mm-hmm. And so that was ready to go, you know, as as we started to record. And then and we talked copiously about what movies we were going to do and why we should do them how we were going to kind of thematically tie them together and definitely an emphasis on trying to be entertaining and funny but also teaching people and so it's trying to balance those two things it's a delicate act and we did not get it right on our first two episodes uh they absolutely did not work they were too long and so we had to completely re-record them and did you leave our process or no, is that on their Patreon? We never, ever posted them. <laughs> no, that's cheating. You know, that's cheating, yeah. right? No, 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 no. Cause uh, we right. had years of doing this and we also knew this was going to be a radio show as well, right. because Aaron has a lot of connections with uh, a radio, uh, uh, humble. What is it? Humble air or something like that. How long and was so, it with the episodes though? Uh, so when we record them, they're anywhere from an hour to an hour 45 and then i hack them down until they're about 50 minutes so and that is because of the radio but we also aaron thought it was really important that it not hit an hour because he wanted it to not overstay his welcome when Mm -hmm. we recorded this so um so there's definitely a lot of editing that goes on when you hear any given episode we will be talking about something and shift gears to something else and that Mm -hmm. is from a lot of me banging my head on a desk, figuring out how to make this point marry this point so that we can cut oh, out yes. seven minutes 
and <laughs> it might be a good seven minutes, but it's also uh, it, sometimes it just doesn't work when you're trying to to keep it tight. We do have some of the longer episodes up on Patreon, but <laughs> literally every episode was longer than than we actually posted, and a lot of that is just me editing. So, mm, no, I, I definitely want to go against the uh, the norm on that as well. I, I... And, um, you know, you see a few of my episodes or interviews, but interview formats, you know, you know, you can go on for long, you know, if, if it's a show, yeah, it's a bit different. But, um, yeah, like, uh, I mean, my inspiration is actually like um, in the podcast realm or the interview realm is probably like a Joe Rogan or Lex Friedman sort of style. You know, they go on for like two, three hours. I think there was a <laughs> SpaceX interview with the guy, I think, oh, I forgot his name, but he interviewed the guy from SpaceX and um, the interview or the episode was five hours and 30 minutes, I think. Let me, I'll double check that, but yeah. Yeah. I, can, I, I, can it to you. <laughs> I tend to have an internal there. clock yeah. and I, it just naturally, and it's from years of doing it, but I naturally feel good somewhere between an hour to 90 minutes. Right. And that's almost every podcast I do. The rough cut is around that. And then, you know, I'll go and take out gaps or when people say like, or, um, or people try to make a point and then realize like the point goes nowhere. So I'll take that stuff out too. So, you know, it's, it's a product for sure. I didn't used to, I used to just put it up as is Mm. for a couple of years. And I went to a convention in Seattle where they were talking about podcasting. And one of the person was just like, do not waste your audience's time. If you have big gaps where nobody says anything, cut those gaps out. If somebody mm. says something pointless, cut it out. And I really thought about it. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot because I had edited when I first started. And then I decided it took too long. Like, I'll just make part of the show, not uh, editing and make sure people know it's raw, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so once I edited it again, I noticed there was like a 40% bump in downloads mm. after a month. And I was like, well, it looks like the listeners have spoken. I need to edit. So <laughs> I've locked myself in front of my computer for hours and hours and hours since. Hmm. I mean, do you think it's uh, based off uh, maybe who that, you know, who interviewees at all? Or because, you know, if it's someone and you know, maybe like a, an iconic figure, maybe they don't mind hearing all the rambles or whatnot. But do you think that's the point or not really? Like that per- person that was given that feed, you know, that tip. Did you mention anything like that? Like if it's a prominent figure or whatnot, um, you know, does it sort of change the formatting? Yeah, I think. Okay. So if you're talking about celeb, uh, celebrity interviews, mm. then probably it's okay to go on cut. First right. off, they have training in front of camera. So a lot yeah. of them are used to uh, speaking their point of view, not having a lot of gaps, not misspeaking when they do misspeak, it's a big deal. So, you know, they have media it's training. Not the interview pre-cut. No, <laughs> they already exactly. know. They already know what yeah. to do. <laughs> and then for other shows, I just think it depends on the format. I'm not saying that editing a lot is for everybody. It's not. But for what we do, mm-hmm. we're tending to try and, for example, talk about movies in a in a very deep way. And we will go off on tangents. And a lot of those times, those tangents are really fun. And I don't want to touch them because sometimes Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of magic in just accidentally going off on this path that had nothing to do with what you're talking about. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you can tie it back in and then it totally works. Sometimes you can't. and You got to just sever that cord. You can't be precious with your stuff, I think. And for an interview show, it's different because 
you're talking to somebody, you're getting their point of view. Mm. So you want to get the point of view across. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I have done some interviews, so I've definitely had some experience there. But I think when you're talking about a particular topic, you really have to be careful to not make people get bored or you might be saying the same thing three different times within a loop and you want to get that out of there as well. So it it just, it's in a case by case basis, I guess. Mm. And when I started, I think maybe the other issue was um, from a host point of view, maybe someone's listening and want to become a host. Um, I don't know if you've come across this, but there was a problem when I'm trying to, you have someone talking and then you're thinking of um, <clears throat> if you have like a list of questions or something, then you're thinking of um, oh, you're focusing on what's coming next instead of actually listening. You're still trying to listen, but like now it's a little bit easier, but I think it was just due to nervousness. I don't know. Have you ever come across that before? Um, All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... All the time. Right. So that's where preparation really comes in. It helps to have yeah. something in front of you that says it. I, for me, it's my phone. Yeah. Um, I, I keep a Google Doc that has mm. everything I write down from a computer or a tablet or a phone. It all just updates automatically. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll literally have them in bullet points. So what I want to talk about is bullet pointed for the entire podcast. Mm. And the point of those bullet points are to have it so that you don't have that dead air and you can immediately jump off to the things you want and you don't get too far off the task. But also when you are having that conversation that veers away, you've got that looking in your face. And so you can actively listen, but then you know where your finger's at so that you can bring it back to that point. Sometimes it's smooth sailing getting there. Sometimes it's not. I think that's mostly practice. If you practice that a lot, eventually Mm. you'll get pretty good at it. Sometimes you don't need a clever transition. Sometimes you can just take a breath and start into it, you know? So, but it helps to have something visual in front of you so that you can kind of keep your finger on it and just go back to it. And then you can actively listen. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And at the moment I have the, my set of questions right in front of me, just flicking between the screens. (laughs) And I definitely can relate. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, Fields of Glory and you know how you actually dissect these sports movies for those uh, um, problematic uh, problematic themes? I mean, why 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 did you choose those actually too? Because I was curious about that also. Like, why why are you dissecting those movies for those sort of themes? Okay, so Aaron, when he came and joined my network the first time, he was doing the Alien Movie Project, and what he was working on as a professor was alienhood. Yeah. He was thinking about how, for example, we other people, how we look at people differently because they're, they look different than us or they're from a different country or they have a different point of view. And you see that in alien movies all the time. Whenever you watch an alien movie, Mm. it's usually othering somehow. And I'll give you an example that people don't always think about, but yeah. it's right there on the surface. Go Men in it. black. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is about how the U.S. borders uh, or treats immigrants on the border, right? Like you get certain aliens that come in and they basically act like the stereotype that you would think of as a, a Mexican in America. In America, mm. and so it is a commentary on how they perceive immigrants, right? It just and it blew it's my these, mind. 
Yeah, and it's these people that come in <laughs> and they're trying to it. like watch the border, but it, it's just really obvious when you start to think about it and pull at those strings. You can see it, Predator, mm. for example. Okay, uh, that is about people's fear of black people in this country. Like it's right there, whether they intended to or not. You've got this creature which back in the 80s whenever you had a black person in a movie Mm. for the most part they tended to be really big they tended to be intimidating uh they were often criminals in movies like we had casted them stereotyped them into this role and when you look at predator it's exactly that Mm. he shows up everybody's afraid of him he's got dreadlocks you know that come out like he codes for certain things with with uh jamaican warriors that they, they intentionally put it in like you can see a special feature when they talk about that Whoa. and so he was making these connections into movies i swear this is getting to our show <laughs> so goes into the real war project and when he goes into that he's looking at how war cinema um how it talks to the public basically like mm. A lot of the time it's kind of propagandistic. Yep. There's certain tropes that you see over and over again that are doing certain things within the movies that you just see over and over and over. And there's a reason why you see them over and over and over. And a movie I'll give, for example, Star Wars. We don't really think about it as a war movie, but it is a war movie. And it's like a war movie for kids. And you've got this rebellion and they're mm. against the, the empire, the empire doesn't care what anybody thinks. It's got an emperor at the top and they're evil and they kill everybody. But the rebels, they listen to each other and they fight for each other. And they're always doing what's good. And that's exactly how the United States tends to view itself when we talk about breaking away from Great Britain, for example. And you look at that movie and all the empire officers, when you're not talking about Darth Vader or the emperor, they all have British accents, like to a T, all of them. Huh. And it's exactly how we perceived that with the war. And so it's doing this with war cinema, right? So he crafts this whole show with this friend, Charles Horgan, uh, who had gone to war. He fought in Iraq years and years ago. And I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he thinks differently about war than he did before he went out there. Um, So Charles wanted to take a break that they, they do seasons of the show. And so Aaron brings me in and he's like, I would like to do this with sports movies because he, he thinks that there's a lot of things that we can uncover with sports movies, how we look at racism, sexism, uh, standpoint in general, like how do we look at other people? Are we othering people in yeah, this? A lot how of does those, it relate uh, to coach movies, right? You know, this is upcoming coaches or underdog movies. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah oh no totally i mean like yeah. so in a war movie you'll often see the squad and it's yeah. made up of people like you'll got the guys like yeah i'm gonna come after hitler here and you get that same guy in sports movies like you'll have a team and they'll all mm. be about like winning the championship they always have to undercome or they always have to overcome some obstacle they're working together to win that's often what happens in sports movies so you get a lot of the same narrative if you look at the sports teams in america a lot of um how can i put this it's it's a lot of colonial stuff that's going on i mean we have teams that are named after indigenous tribes here uh we have teams that are named after like cowboys and like the people that settled uh my shirt right here i have this jersey because it says pdx which is the airport Mm. code 
of my Portland Trailblazers, but yeah. the Trailblazers went to the Oregon Trail. They made this path through to like claim the Oregon Territory. Mm. And what they don't really talk about, and you just have to read between the lines, is they stomped on a lot of indigenous people to settle there. Right. And there was a lot of wars to take that area. And we kind of replay that with sports all the time. So we're looking at how that is represented in these movies about sports. just wanted to know, uh, how do you balance your um, own show with managing a network of other podcasters or other podcasts? Um, do, you, do you find uh, that there are common challenges that uh, podcasters face? Time is always an issue. No matter what, time is always an issue. Uh, you have to get together with people, whether that be through Zoom or in a room to record. That takes time. That has to line up with everybody else. Um, editing, yeah. you have to definitely be regimented and be prepared to sit in a chair for four to six hours if you need to sit in a chair for four to six hours or do it in one or two hour blocks over the course of a week, but you have to get it done by a certain time. And so I think the biggest challenge is having the time, but then also utilizing it when you have it. A mm. lot of people will sit there and open a, a window and they'll start reading something, you know, cause sometimes you get a little timer that goes off and will tell you that your file's compressing and they start to read a news story and then the next thing you know, they're they're down a rabbit hole. I don't let myself do any of that stuff anymore because I know <laughs> that my time is precious and I can't sit it, sit around all day and waste it. So it's definitely being regimented and trying to get it done in a timely fashion, you know. So that, I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest issue. And that comes down to everything I do, like social media. I tend to be in and out. Uh, mm -hmm. Instagram saying I spend about an hour and 18 minutes a day, but a lot of that it, it's haunting when I look on it, but, uh, yeah. it, it does it, it. It's that high because I go on a lot during a day and just try and like as many posts as I can and check it out and see who's, who's checking out the podcast. Like, who do I want to check out? Like, sometimes mm -hmm. I'm trying to, to find certain people, uh, like sometimes it's other shows Sometimes it's it, if we're doing the sports podcast, I will delve into like looking at people's posts about the Karate Kid. If we're doing that movie, for example, uh, when mm. I'm doing living with your dog, I'm trying to find people with the hashtags like dog lovers, dogs, that kind of stuff, because you get these people who create dog accounts and they tend to be the ones that check this stuff out the most. So yeah. there's a lot of strange things that you have to balance to get all of this done and you have to know when you're going to do it how much time you have to do it and you have to be willing to put in the time when you're doing it so that's the hardest thing is just finding that time and managing that time cool and um just wanted to ask like yeah free sort of uh get to know your questions i guess um you know what, what are your favorite films of all time and why do you, do you have those or Yes. Um, so my favorite film is The Godfather Part Two, right. And this is a film from 1974. I'm sure a lot of people are aware of it, may or may not have seen it. And a lot of people say The Godfather is the best film mm. of, of all time. Um, yeah. You know, there's a debate that's there's a lot of films that people say that about. But Godfather mm. is one that that tends to resonate with a lot of people. 
I like the second one because there is this theme that runs through it about the building of an empire and an empire crumbling. Like you Mm -hmm. get these two storylines, you get one with Vito in the twenties and then his son, Michael in the fifties and sixties. And Vito is starting from nothing and he's building this empire and he's doing it through goodwill around the neighborhood. He's doing it from taking advantage of certain situations, but trying to do it in a way where he doesn't make more enemies. And he's trying to be smart about it. And Michael has inherited a lot of those good traits from his father. But the one he has not inherited is being a good person, honestly, like trying to find something that works for that person you're exploiting so that they don't get upset. And he just doesn't really get it when he sees an enemy, he sees an enemy. And even though the empire that he's inherited from his father is financially doing better than it's ever done it's it's fraying around the edges because his father's was built around community it was built around family and michael's is built around money and it touches on capitalism i think where you get so involved in making your stack of money bigger and bigger and bigger and you forget the truly important things around it or why you're building that stack of money to begin with And so I think that movie does an excellent job of showing that even though this was started with good intentions, it always winds up being rotten and corrupted in the end, because when you pass it off to your kids, they're not necessarily going to understand that. They just know that they're supposed to maintain this thing and get more. And in the process, he loses his family. His wife leaves him, gets an abortion. Uh, He winds up killing his brother like all of these crazy things happen. And I just love how operatic it is, but it has something very, very real to say that works. Mm. If you're, if you're like a guy sweeping floors or if you're a guy working at a bank, you know, like a CEO or something like money is very destructive and can destruct things that you care about. So that's why I really love that movie is I think it's, it's pretty deep in its theme. Like that, I like that analysis. That's good. I wish uh, a lot of people would think like that. <laughs> well, thank you. And even going back to like we're talking about the themes or you know analysis of other themes in uh, movies from um, for the sports films. Um, I just for, I remembered another quote because I'm you know, sorry I keep talking in memes, but um, <laughs> you know um, there's a I think there's another one where it's like um, the author is uh, explaining something about like uh, he's describing the room and then like the room. The, the curtains are blue and then the the you know the English teacher is t- talking to the literature literature class and um you know she's asking um the curtains were blue because the uh the main character was depressed and then um you know the then the next caption is just like the author's like the curtains were blue because they were blue <laughs> you know like there's nothing much else to look into there <laughs> yeah exactly so, sometimes like we overanalyze but then yeah sometimes yeah it actually is the way that is meant to be portrayed but then yeah there are times when yeah we we kind of add meaning to something i guess or add in add our interpretation sorry yeah that is the danger when you do what i do is that sometimes you might be off on the mark and you might not be quite at it however 
I would say mm-hmm. when you're analyzing movies, it's easier than ever because you can go on the internet and your mm-hmm. theory, you can look into it and often it. the director will have talked about it. And so, right. you know, it's not, it's just that people don't want to dig sometimes or they don't think to dig. I think that's more what it is. When I used to watch a movie, I just mm-hmm. watched a movie and I'd be like, okay, this is about, uh, this is about a guy with multiple personalities and I, I believe everything he's telling me the multiple personality is doing this and doing this mm. and it winds up being he's blowing up buildings and he can't help it because he's got multiple personalities. And then you start to learn to look at the themes underneath and you're like, well, maybe he's doing that because he's not ready for the relationship he's in. And maybe this is actually mm. a commentary on how generation X felt like the world that they were handed to by the boomers was fake. And it was all built up on appearing a certain way. And this piece of furniture will complete your life. And then you realize as you're watching fight club, it's actually a very deep movie and there's a lot of themes and it's really mm. easy to find that stuff out because you can listen to a commentary track and you can hear David Fincher talk about it or you can hear the guy who wrote it talk about it and all of this stuff tends to be out there that's also why I admire the Coen brothers because they never talk about that stuff ever and so that is where you really run into the danger of like are the curtains blue because he's depressed or are they blue because they're blue because the Coens aren't actually going to tell you and they might be the only directors who don't so <laughs> and uh you know I interviewed someone uh so Reese Nelson he's uh he's got his own uh, label now sounds insomnia you know he's if you listen to his music he doesn't actually have a particular theme or like it's not a story or whatnot it's just open to the listeners interpretation he leaves it to yeah, pretty interesting stuff. And um, I think when you were explaining that story about the multiple personalities, I was actually thinking, I was thinking about was, uh, I think, Glass or the one before it. Yes, it, yes. Yeah. Split. It's, it's not Glass, Split. Yeah, Split. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. And then um, as you were saying that, like when we're thinking about movies and like instead of sitting back, I remember watching ki- uh, films like back in the 2000s, like me, myself and Irene, right? Yes. When I was younger. You don't see the, you don't understand those films like as a kid, I guess. Um but then watching it, like I think I watched it a couple of months back, and then I'm like, "Wow, this is pretty profound." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some pretty he- heavy themes in it. It's like you know, poor guy, and like he used to laugh at those. Uh, like for example, it's like you know, we did have a snap, you know, like that um, that uh, change in his um mood, like after that, you know, that alteration altercation in the the in the story. You'd kind of laugh at it as a kid, but then uh, it's, it's quite sad actually. Well, just it's quite a quite a young. Um, distressing scene to some people I, I would imagine seeing that it's like instead of being a comedy it's like it depends on where you are in life as well you'll interpret things a little bit differently right 100 percent um but uh that is one yeah. thing that's really nice about movies is that you can go back and often you won't see the theme that was there before and mm. yeah when you're a kid man you watch a family movie and you just take it as is and then when you get older you realize there was something going on i I didn't quite grab onto when I was younger. I've especially all the innuendos. Yeah. Especially I've seen (laughs) movies that I really loved and went back and watched them and realized what they were saying and then hated it and vice versa as well. Uh, It's part of the art form of movies is you have your overt theme. That's like, these people are doing this and then this happens, you know, it's what everybody knows because it's what you see. And then, you always have this theme underneath 
And whether you pick up on the theme or not is up to the individual, like whether they're going to do the work to find it or whether they actually see it. But there's always something there. Like directors don't just make movies to make movies. Kids will do that for YouTube or whatever. But once you're in a position where you're you're putting money on the line when you're going to film school and thinking about this stuff, there is an actual process to making a film that it follows. And you may not always get the theme right, but it's always there. You just have to find it. Mm. Even, even in strange stuff like a David Lynch movie, he always says, and I think a key to him is that he was a painter. And so mm-hmm. he thinks that people see what they want to see in the movie. But then you watch it and a lot of those movies, there's like themes you can totally pick up on. But I don't think he's ever going to say it because he was probably feeling it when he filmed it. But yeah. he also wants people to have their own experience as well. So it's it's pretty interesting, this this art we call movies, you know. Your uh, favorite movie quote, if you have one. Do you have a favorite film quote? <laughs> Or a book quote, I don't know. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah, whichever way you want to go. Film quote or um, novel? I, I'm actually going to do a book quote here. So my favorite author is Hunter S. Thompson. He was a really mm-hmm. crazy dude. And I've yeah. read all of his books. They made a movie off of one of his books called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. They made another one called The Rum Diaries. And they made a third one back in the 70s with Bill Murray called Where the Buffalo Roam. And he had this quote he used to say over and over again, which is when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. And I always like that. It's it's a funny quote. But when you start to think about it, stuff tends to not work out the way that you want it to work out. And so how are you going to navigate that? Are you going to stomp your feet and be upset that you can't really control things the way you want to control them? Or are you going to harness that chaos and just find a way to see where it goes, see what it can make you see if you can uh, turn it into something great, because my philosophy with art, any kind of art is there always is an element that you can't control. There's always something that you want to do that you can't quite get in there. And I think it's why a lot of perfectionists go crazy is because they can't get anything absolutely perfect. And so they just try and they try and they try until it's close enough. But I've found that some of the mistakes actually can make something better because it it taps into something unexpectedly. And that's why I like that quote. I, I think it embraces all of that in a very opaque sort of way. Did you say H.S. Thompson? Yes, oh, Hunter, no, Hunter, 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 Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter yeah. yeah. Final uh, bonus question, it's a memoir question. When you pass on, what would you like to have been known for? So... I weirdly think about this a lot since I hit my Mm -hmm. forties. And the truth is it depends on who's doing the remembering (laughs) because it's my (laughs) daughter. I want her to, to think that I was a a loving person who taught her a lot. And if it's my wife, I want her to think that I was a, a caring human being. But if it's the average person who may or may not know me, I want them to think like, wow, that guy was really creative and driven and did a lot. And so maybe that's more of what you're looking at. But in terms of personal relationships, there mm. are there are qualifiers. But to yeah. the, the world at large, that's that would be my answer. Thank you for um, coming on, Alex. And uh, good to meet you. Good and, to meet uh, you, too. Forward. 
yeah looking forward to um yeah chatting in the future see um i was thinking of getting like uh actually yesterday i was interviewing um uh, jacob a guy that does uh, short form content or short format content um and i was thinking actually because he's starting in the um business like he's starting he started a new business right now and i might actually get guests on maybe in five years time or whatever and then we'll see where they're at get like an update that'd be cool <laughs> yeah that would be really cool yeah. And, you know, crazy things happen when you don't when you don't see them. Uh, I had yeah. an actor on one time and it was because we started a movie podcast. It was a pandemic. Nobody was going mm-hmm. anywhere. Nobody was sitting in a room with anybody. So we started zooming our podcast and mm-hmm. my co-host Jeremiah Perez just has this part of his brain that's kind of broken where he reaches out to his heroes constantly yeah. and tries to talk to him. And that's, yeah. that's something that I would not try and do because I just assume it wouldn't get through. And the few times I've tried <laughs> have not yes. succeeded, but he had no problem doing it. And so he wound yeah. up getting some really good guests. And right. so I reached out to this guy, Galen, and wound up getting him on, on my show. And he winds up on like a Star Wars show a little while ago. Uh, he gives me juicy tidbits on like all kinds of weird little Hollywood <laughs> stuff that I didn't know when we were off nice. mic. And it was just because I... I didn't see it coming, but I was like, I have to keep up. And it it was, it was kind of awesome, man. It was kind of awesome. And I, I never saw any of that coming and I'm not doing the interviews as much anymore, but mm. I've got all kinds of crazy stuff that, that happened in my life just because I was trying to do a thing and I kept up with it. And sometimes these doors open up that you don't expect, you know? So I, I really wish 100%. you a lot of luck. And uh, anytime you want me back, I'm down for whatever topic. I'm, I'm game for any of it. So, you are listening to Noteworthy Differences.